And good day, everyone. This is Jeremy Hinks, the man of a million musical opinions. All of mine happen to be correct. This week, we are presenting the first of two segments of the McBroom Sisters. You have heard them. They have been with Pink Floyd, the Rolling Stones, Blue Pearl Boy, George Rod Stewart, Billy Idol, and uh, anybody else you could think of. They just released an album called Black Floyd, an album of some Pink Floyd covers and some of their own songs as well, one of which is co-written with Lemmy Kilmister from Motorhead. They have an all-star cast on this album, including Nick Mason from Pink Floyd himself. These sisters have done it all, and their stories are nothing short of incredible. So here's their version of On the Turning Away by Pink Floyd, and the album again is Black Floyd. The reference to Black Lives Matter is correct because it is more relevant now than ever. So let's all sit back and do the sticky jazz. On the turning away From the pale and downtrodden And the words they say Which we won't understand What's happening is just a case of others suffering. Oh, you'll find that you're joining in the turning away. It's a sin that somehow light is changing to shadow. And casting a shroud over all we have known Unaware how the ranks are grown Driven on by a heart of stone We could find that we're all alone In the dream of the proud Speechless, unite in a silent accord Using words you will find the strange Mesmerized as they light the flame Feel the new wind of change On the wings of the night Just the world that we are 
everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. And uh, I'm back in the Sticky Jazz studios here. And today I've got two of the most amazing women I've ever been able to talk to in music. Uh, they are Durga and Lorelai McBroom. You might have heard them. Uh, you, you might not know their names, but you've definitely heard their voices if you've listened to Pink Floyd or the Rolling Stones or any number of musicians in the last 30 years, you've heard these women and their amazing uh, voices here. So I've got Durga in Los Angeles and Lorelai in New York City. So New York, right. New York. And, and uh, I've got uh, Lorelai has this fabulous collection of, of jewelry that she makes that uh, is sitting on the wall right behind her. It's pretty decorative too. So that's good to see. And I'm sitting here with this, again, you guys have your own sound studio and gear there. I know Durga does, but I'm like, I had to move out to where I am right now to do this. So, um, so I, here's the first question, Durga, uh, is that your given name or did you just take it from the Hindu badass goddess? Uh, my name was given to me by really? my spirit, by our spiritual teacher, our guru, Swami Muktananda, when I was about 10 years old. Okay. And uh, uh, because I saw people at the ashram would go to greet him and they would ask him for a spiritual name. And uh, he would rattle off any number of names that he used to use. And I asked my mother or our mother, um, should I get one? And she said, sure. So I went up and I said, Baba, I would like to get a name from you. And he stopped and he stroked his chin and he had a good think. And then he said, Durga. And it was quite an honor because he never, I only know one other person he gave that name to. Okay. And uh, yeah, she's badass. So, <laughs> well, yes, Durga, she's the multi pronged badass who rides in. Some weeks she takes battle on a tiger, others, you know. Um, it's a lion. Yeah. Yeah. So, anybody who could ride a tiger into battle, man, I'd, I'd steer clear of that woman. <laughs> like, for. Well, she's yeah. also a mother goddess, though. She's a warrior goddess, but she's also a mother goddess mm -hmm. because she loves she loves humanity so much as her children, and will fight to the death for them. That's yeah. what makes her badass. Yeah, she's one but of the mother goddesses of the. So I'm I'm not as big on the Vedic really uh, deities because there are so damn many of them. Um, yes. Uh, it's about as many worshippers as there are gods in in that world. I know. So, <laughs> but the but, thing that well, you're missing, the thing that you're missing that I'm sure Derby can elaborate on is the aspect of the warrior is not really about so much a physical battle. It's about the yeah. battle to uh, enlightenment, where you need to vanquish the sense of ego. And, yeah. Also, the the best story is like the the creation of Kali, who was an aspect of Durga. When Durga stops playing, I mean, she's already pretty badass, and she's got ten arms and uh, right. yeah, ten weapons. But when she gets fed up, she's like, you know, screw it, and out comes Kali. Fo springs fully formed. Kali is depicted as a uh, pitch black. There's a necklace of severed heads and a skirt of severed arms and legs. And she looks really scary. But what she's actually doing is um, destroying man's attachment to the concept of duality, which is that we are separate 
from our true divine nature that we are not one with God. Now, to do that, she kills your body, but <laughs> that's the fastest way. Wait, is, isn't that when she rides in on the rhinoceros? I saw one painting of her on the rhinoceros. So I was like, you know what? I, I would just, no, that one just, just. Yeah, I mean, like when when in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when they ride in on the damn polar bears, I'm like, you know yeah, what? Um, is evil. Kali is not evil. Kali is actually, and in fact, she's often depicted. Uh, well, actually, Durga is, but um, her lion mount is is uh, depicted ripping out the throat of a black bull. That black bull represents man's stubborn ignorance. So she's killing man's concept, as Lorelai said, attachment to ego and also the false sense that we are somehow separate from everything else because we're not. It's all one. It's all God. It's all divine. We just made up this little game where we decided we were separate from everything else. So we live in our own little world in our own little head, which is bullshit, basically. Sure. Well, like here's <laughs> here was. um God, what was the, uh, oh man, it, it, there was the one, who was the first God? I'm trying to remember that one. Was that, uh, uh, Brahma. was that it? Brahma. Dharma? Brahma. 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 Okay. So, uh, hi Jordan. <laughs> so, um, there was this story of, yes, we're recording. What's up? So, oh yeah. So there was a story where, where he appears in a room and he sees the universe being created, right? Okay. And so so it, it's the Big Bang that's going out and he sees all of it, right? And he's like, wow, all of this is happening around me and I'm the only person, I'm the only one here, so I must be God, right? And then um, the second God appears in in in, in the okay room. hold it hold it no hold no, no. It. hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on okay and i'm trying to remember the names That's how this story goes you know how no, the story goes okay so, so wait, wait. shiva and shakti no, shiva that's wait, right yes wait okay. a minute you're skipping a whole big thing and in fact it ties into the music because i have a blue pearl song called alive okay that i co-wrote with guy pratt and and youth and right. in the video David Gilmore is in the video and he appeared uh, the video was directed by Storm Thorgerson, who did all the Pink Floyd album covers. He did me a huge favor because as he put it, darling, you couldn't afford me, but I'm going to do you a favor. So he directed this video for me and I but had forever in his debt now. Well, yeah, Still. well, he's no longer with us, but anyway. Right, but yeah, um, but no, he's he's somewhere else out there. So when you yes. pass on, he's going to yes. be showing up and pay up, up, love. Yes. But the concept that I came up with for David to do his cameo in the video comes from hold this. On, hold on a second. The story of creation, according to Hindu mythology, is that Brahma, who is the creator, because it's a triumvirate. There's Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Brahma is sleeping on, on the sea of consciousness, floating on top of this giant multi-headed cobra. And I can't remember the cobra's name. But anyway. Frank. <laughs> yeah, Frank the Cobra. So as as um as he's sleeping, Vishnu appears, is born out of a lotus flower that springs out of Brahma's navel, and Vishnu is the sustainer. So Brahma's the creative creator. 
Vishnu is the sustainer. And then comes Shiva, who is the destroyer. Mm-hmm. And it's a cycle. So you have the creation, the, the sustenance, the, you know, the sustained part in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then Shiva destroys everything so that it can be created once again. And in this video that Storm directed for me, David appears out of a flower that's in my navel. I, I'm going to have to go. And which song was this? Alive. Alive. Okay. I'm going to have to go dig that one up because you're awfully special to have David Gilmore come out of your navel anyway. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, he um, did me a favor too. So, uh, actually, the last time we spoke, that was when I realized it is a complete honor to even say that I know. I was like, these two are the two of the most amazing women ever in music. And I was like, I can't believe I know them, you know. Um, So here's so here's the story that I got right where there was one Brahma and he's in the corner of this room and he sees the room is like a building, but it also like expands in the Big Bang. So the Big Bang actually is physics and science was it was part of the story there. And then uh, uh, the next God shows up and says, well, what are you doing here? He says, well, I must be like God because I'm the first one here. And then he's like, okay, right. So we see that. So that that was how the kind of deities came into place based on the order of when they realized they were and where they were and who they were as the universe expanded and the world was created. Um, here's the Western religion version of the story. Okay. You got two goldfish swimming around in a fishbowl <laughs> and you know, the goldfish, they have a real short memory anyway, but the one fish is saying, look, man, I'm telling you, there is no God. Okay. There just is no God. And then the other fish says to him, I understand what you're saying. There's no evidence for God you're saying, but, who is it that keeps changing our water? <laughs> that's funny. So, so there we go. So we there we have Durga. That's wonderful that you are the badass ten-armed woman that'll ride a, a tiger, a lion, or a rhinoceros by that painting, which um, they, that was pretty cool. Uh, but Lorelai, how about you? What do you got? Oh, baby, there's a story behind my name too. Okay. <laughs> okay, Lorelai was the name of a mermaid. Uh, She was actually in mourning over some guy that left her. I don't remember that part of the story. But she sang on the rocks of the Rhine River and would sing and entice the sailors to their death because they couldn't navigate the river, so they'd crash on the rocks. And then I read that mermaids eat um, and leave bones on the shore and whatever. So it's kind of a... She's a bit of a siren sea witch. However... Um, I asked my mother once why she gave me that name. She said it was just something that came to her like an epiphany. And it just so happened that I am a singer. I'm not responsible for killing lots you of sailors. You are a though. siren. I call you oh, yeah. and Lara and Emily the sirens, right? Yeah, called, yeah. Yeah, so. Thank and, you. And, and, and Durga is the part-time siren when she shows up <laughs> to a gig, too, you know, so. You know, no, the, we the other bones under Lorelai's bed when we were going <laughs> on. And the, the gardeners would go missing. You know, we just don't talk about it very much. Just don't talk about it much. Well, I've broken a few hearts, I'll say that. Oh, but, um, uh, yeah. I also, I also have a, a name that Baba gave me, which was Lakshmi. 
and Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth and beauty, yep. similar to Venus in um, Greek mythology or Oshun in um, Yoruba religion. And abundance uh, and fertility. Right. So, um, I mean, I only have one child, um, but that was my choice. Um, I have tremendous abundance in my heart, whether I have a lot of money in the bank or not. And um, I relate to that. Mm -hmm. I like beauty. I like beauty a lot. The aesthetics of beautiful things. Well, I, I have said many times as uh, if, yes, if I was on a ship sailing the seas, you know, um, I, I would be crashing on, on, the, on your shores. I'd have, I'd have laid my <laughs> ship down on the rocks at your shores. Um, when I interviewed Lola Lennox from, uh, you know who, Annie, you know Annie Lennox, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I, I met her. I, Earlier oh. this year. Oh, finally. you did? Well, so. wait. I actually was in uh, the video for What I Lied to You. I'm dancing in that. You, there's actually a close-up of me dancing on top of a table at one point. But during that shoot, she was really shy. Uh, and um, so she didn't really come out to talk to people. And then I saw her a couple years later when I had moved to London on the Portobello Road. But I had heard she was very private and very shy, so I didn't want to bother her. But I live right up the street from the world famous Greenblatt's Deli. And I was coming up the stairs as she was coming down. And it's a very narrow stairwell. So at that point, I was like, well, you know, might as well say something. So I was like, I'm in one of your videos. And we stopped and had a very lovely chat. She's really nice. Well, so, <laughs> but what's the story behind you dancing on a table? And how much liquor did you have before? No, that? no, <laughs> it was, it was a. It was in the Roxy. I was in that one too. We were in the audience, and Durga yeah. just jumped up on the table with the guy no, that she was dancing with. Up on the table, Lorelai was featured dancer in that video, and Mary Lambert, the director, told me to do that. I didn't just jump up on a table. Okay, <laughs> that's how that. <laughs> well, so I was interviewing Lola in right before pride she kicked off pride for the virtual pride right because everyone's in lockdown and so when i was interviewing her i said you know i it, just to be honest uh if i was on if i was out on a ship and you were on an island with kate bush and florence welsh man i would crash my boat on those shores and she said that would be <laughs> one really neat island to be on man I'd, I'd love to be there you know mm. that'd be a lot of fun um, but I'm a sucker for a good siren. I always have been. So um, Sarah Brightman, you know, um, just put all the women, all these great women on island, have them singing, man. Like we'd all just converge, you know. So. Well, that's kind of what Great Gig in the Sky is like. A bunch of yeah. siren sounds. Oh, God, you guys were all just, yes, Great Gig is amazing. Um, so, I have a correction, by the way. What's that? I looked at the snake's name is Ananta, but it's weird because even though Brahma is the creator, it's Vishnu who's sleeping on Ananta in the sea of consciousness. Ananta. And Brahma is, one. Okay. Brahma is the one that's coming out of his navel in a, in a lotus flower. So I don't know how that happened because Brahma was the one who created and Vishnu was the sustainer. I guess it's Vishnu's dream of consciousness as he's sleeping on the sea of consciousness that is creation or whatever. So, so sorry. <laughs> well, the word Ananda with the D in the Vedic beliefs is like pure focus and being perfectly in the moment, if I, if I remember that correctly. 
Yes. So, something that me with my ADHD, I, I've never experienced. So but <laughs> I, I hear it's quite lovely to be in that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so let's see here. Let, let me explain who you ladies are, listeners. Um, Durga is back up for Pink Floyd, uh, has been since um, Delicate Sound of Thunder Days. And uh, Lorelai was also doing stand-ins with Pink Floyd, but she's done Rolling Stones. Uh, but if I were to go with the list, we'd be on for miles and miles. It's just your list, your resumes, both of them are fantastic. So uh, although I did think it was really funny last time we talked that um, I guess just because of the age difference, Lorelai got like the the, the, the 70s, the, the, the classic rock world of, you know, Lou Reed and Bowie and all that. And Durga's like, oh, yeah, did it with youth and killing joke. And, and that was where I, you know, that was where, I mean, there are so many names that you have both worked with that it blew my mind. But also just the conversation that we had, I thought these are two of the most lovely, intelligent, powerful women that I've ever met, you know. And so it it was, it was just, it was incredible. That was so great. And uh, I I just wanted to ask, you two have never been interviewed together, right? Is that correct? No, we have. You have. Okay. Yes. Lots of times. Um, So I just, I thought it was great when you're telling the story, Durga, you were acting there at UCLA and they were like, you were perfect for the Shakespeare role, except you were black and mm-hmm. that that just pissed me off and i'm like how many years ago was that she tells me now and it pissed me off but uh clearly the choice of going down the music road has been that's that's been it for you 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 know well as an actress back in the early 80s that was in 1981 um or 80 80 81 uh i found that uh, i was getting looked at for prostitutes, prison inmates. I did a film uh, called uh, Vendetta where I was Willow, the head of the black prison faction and just dumb stuff like that. And uh, although it, it kind of was nice in some respects in that I did an episode of the old TV show Hunter um, where there was a serial killer out killing English prostitutes and uh, he was Lord something or other who was supposed to be some English Lord who'd come over to America and was killing women. And I didn't find out till years later that the person I was acting opposite was Gary Sinise. Oh, that wow. Was, yeah, that was gnarly. And like, he was so engrossed in that character that all of us on the set, like nobody wanted to talk to him. He was so creepy and horrible that, you know, and we basically, he's like walking down the street and, uh, you know, off Hollywood Boulevard. And we're like all, you know, two of us are like, Hey baby, you want to date that kind of thing. And he finally settles on, um, uh, Perry Lister, who was the mother of Billy Idol's child. Um, and he kills her. So we dodged a bullet. And oddly enough, then years later, going for prostitutes and prison inmates, I found that the things that counted against me as an actress counted 
in my favor as a singer. Everyone wanted the big black backing vocalist, and I wound up singing on Cyberpunk with Billy years later. Right. Doing even a duet of a song that I wrote with youth called Mother Dawn. I did a duet with Billy Idol. So I got right, to hear you him. see youth and Billy Idol together. They're in the same genre, right? Killing Joke and Billy yeah. Idol's Generation X. That's the that. punk thing. You know. That was the punk thing. But what I thought was amazing was when, um, again, the, the, on, on the English side, you didn't have as many black artists in the new wave punk world. Something like Culture Club had a couple in that, but when when they started bringing black musicians and black vocalists in, like when they brought you in, I was like, "Wow, this is you know, <laughs> we're we're breaking the but rules, you right?" You're skipping a whole thing because like when punk was coming out and all of that, there was like punk, and then there was new wave, and then in the UK in particular, there was the whole ska movement, right? And ska, ska, punk, and new wave all kind of went hand in hand. And sure. I was almost entirely black. Yes. And, and then white guys tried doing it and they got sort of okay at it, but they had to have enough black guys in the band to make sure they were doing it right. Well, you know, getting the, ska, the ska rhythm is, is, you know, definitely it's a pocket that you got to know, or you people have tried and done it really badly. Yes. But the other person that I wound up working with um, was, uh, the first ska song I ever heard was Mirror in the Bathroom, which sure. was the English beat. Yeah, and I know those guys. I, I, I like know, know those guys. Yeah, well, I'm on the last beat album with Dave Wakeling because he was like a hero of mine because I'd never heard that. Oh, the, the one that he just put out like a year ago? Yeah. yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, I'm okay. All, I'm all over that. And for me to be able to grow up and work with one of my heroes because that really affected my musical sensibilities there were certain artists you know like uh and um elvis costello i would love to work with elvis and um sting who i've met um have not worked with yet but i would love to um prince i was just thinking this morning how sad i am i never got to work with prince um i, I met wendy or lisa can't remember which one the short one yeah I've met them too. And oh, I love adorable. I oh them. my, she was so, well, so, Oh wow. She was great. Lorelai and I grew up. Uh, well, we've known Paul Peterson who's in the time for like forever. And uh, what's uh, they, then they were in the family, which is now called Lorelai. What is it called now? I Do can't you know? remember. It's remember? something deluxe. Yeah, that's right. F deluxe. Yeah. You see now this this yeah. is and this they, is where oh see I of all the people in the music industry that I just can't stand that I would I, I just like Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction um, and uh, Morris Day I can't stand Morris Day I I re yeah. I oh and Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails that guy just just annoys me oh it's just you know. I, I would kill to work with him. You, really? Yeah, I did a cover of Closer to God. I recorded it at this a fabulous studio in Big Sur when I was living there. Uh, but unfortunately, the guy whose studio it was got into this horribly contentious divorce, and he had to sell everything and break down the studio, and the master got lost. But I killed that. I would love to re-record that. Trent's a genius. I'm sorry. Sometimes geniuses are assholes. I, I, 
I I saw Nine Inch Nails open for the Jesus and Mary chain, and it was the worst good time I ever had. I mean, it was just... (laughs) Well, Perry's been through a lot of stuff. People could say, like, the same thing about... um, um, Anthony Kiedis from the Chili Peppers. A lot right. of people. Now, but the, the difference is now. Here's here's like my my Perry issue, right? I mean, my Trent is it's it's so just I don't know. I'll, I'll just whatever. But um, uh, Perry's voice sounds like a cat having its legs sawed off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's not necessarily the best vocal stylist. And the same thing with Anthony. Anthony Kiedis started out anthony not- sings like he's like he's congested he's always sounded he like no he, yeah cared what anthony sounded like because he was gorgeous but he's he has grown and i've told him this that he i've known him since 1985 back when lorelei and i did that video that started a lot would i lie to you during in that video some of the guys from fishbone were in that video. Oh, see, now I know those guys too. (laughs) Well, I'm going to see Angelo later today. Angelo's my ex. I was with Angelo for nine and a half years. We were almost married. Wait, 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 wait. back up. When did you break up with Angelo? Wait, when were you dating Angelo? uh, Well, I've known him since 1985. We were friends with benefits for years. I moved away, moved to the UK. And when I moved back to Los Angeles in 97, we were together for... Uh, until I left, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't nine and a half years. It was, I left in 2005. Okay. Uh, so, to get I, away. <laughs> th- so let's see, I, I was at the, uh, the everyday sunshine thing with fishbone when they curated the, yeah. um, so the Smithsonian were celebrating fishbone as a significant musical contribution to the African-American community. Right. Well, not just, and, and I was like, "Well, okay, Fishbone were a bunch of black guys playing punk better than so many other punk acts, no right?" And talk about ska. That's one of my other right. First- right. But so, so this is what's funny. I'm telling the guy. I'm telling the the lady there at it was at the Lincoln Theater. It was the first show they were doing there. They, they we screened Every Day Sunshine. And Fishbone came out and played, and the lady was really funny. She's the curator for the whole thing. And she's like, so I was like, so you big Fishbone fan? She's like, no, actually, I've never heard much of the music. I'm like, oh, okay, then I'm just going <laughs> to warn you when they take the stage, they're going to kick your ass. Yeah. Says, Wait, what do you mean? I said, um, do you know <laughs> punk much? She's like, like, no, I don't. I'm like, okay. Like these guys are Mohawks with dreadlocks. Okay. That's the only way to describe them. And I said, they're the crazy. She said, okay. I said, like, just hang on to whatever you think you you know about African-Americans in rock and roll, because this is going to send you and, man, you know, and she was watching Angelo doing like his flips into the audience. It's just Ange- and she was like, she couldn't believe what she was seeing, but she was up there. Kind of, she was dancing in her groove on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is just, this is fishbone, you know, but so that's really funny that. So I I've met Angelo several times in the '90s, um, but uh, the last was, the last time I saw him was at that that uh, that show with um, yeah that the, the curation of Everyday Sunshine, and when Bill was their manager, I, I don't know what Bill's doing now, but he was um, anyway. So uh, 
where were we? Um, so anyway, I don't yes. know. One last thing. Angelo yeah. and I are actually recording together right now. Some okay. stuff that I had started writing back when we were together. Um, <clears throat> and he's expanded on it. And it's very funny trying to steer it. Because he'll take grab something and just like run into the hills with it and bring back something unrecognizable. So trying to steer it into a, into a lane that is unique, but not completely inaccessible has been an interesting balance now that we're older and we really have a great deal of love and respect for one another. It's been fun recording together. So he's doing a Halloween party today and I'm uh, going. <laughs> so I don't, I don't even know if he would remember me, but um, I was told Jaeger, right? Everyone's like, just, Oh God. And he doesn't drink anymore. He doesn't drink anymore, but yeah, no, so I, I, I brought him a bag, like, but I knew Norwood pretty well and Kendall and that whole psycho story. But um, yeah, I, I was, I, I had my bottle of Jaeger as a gift, right? Just to yeah, he just loved Jaeger and Jaeger did not love him. Well, there so, but, the, are you, are you well, guys the, doing a socially responsible party? Yes. As far as I know, I'm going to go check it out. Uh, I'm going to keep my distance from people. I've got my Halloween mask all ready to go. Uh, my my costume incorporates a mask. Um, so uh, as far as I know, it's up in Topanga. It's not going to be a lot of people because uh, I'm not trying to be around a whole lot of people. And if it looks like it's too gnarly, I'm going to duck out to uh, a friend of ours place. But I just want to say hi and wear my costume somewhere. Right. <laughs> so... Um <laughs> um, so first time I met Angela was Lollapalooza, big surprise, 93. Mm. And we're all just kind of hanging out and, 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 and out. And then it, it was the, they call it the pot circle again, me, the Mormon kid and all that. And, and I'm just sitting there talking to one guy, da, 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 you know, and they're all passing the pipe around. Angela taps me. I'm like, Oh yeah, no, sorry, man. Can't do that. I, I got drug test for work. He's like, gotta do what you gotta do man and, but I, you know, so i took it and passed it on to the next guy and every <laughs> time i've been around well even back then he'd be smoking the weed or or drinking jaeger but yeah, as, as, as much as <laughs> as much as he would do all that he was just 10 minutes later he's on stage going Wah! you know which was just great well, i, I love that about him you yeah know? me too one of the best front men bar none in the business he's sure Fishbone is in absolutely my top three live shows of all time, and that's including Pink Floyd. Well, Fishbone I've seen I, well, not, I've I've seen Fishbone eleven times, and if again, if if they ever like, all I need to do is make one phone call and I'm in. You know, that's not a problem. But um, well, if there were ever going to be a female member of Fishbone, it's me. Oh, sweet. Well, you have the hair for it, babe. You really have the hair for it. So, but I, so no, for, for, Trent, wait, Laura, uh, can you say something? Well, no, hey, wait, real quick. Offline, after all this, uh, I know Trent's producers. I know two of them. So, um, we'll talk. Anyway, go on, Lorelai. What were you going to give us? <laughs> well, you initially were asking Durga about the experience of um, being. Uh, not being cast in something right, strictly yes. based on her race. Yes. And I think that that's an important subject to discuss because it is something we've Bring experienced in Hollywood, uh, quote unquote, because th that was in college, but it's very much in the industry. Now things have advanced 
from where they were at in the 80s to a point. God. But I still thought that we could discuss what our experiences that so, has been. Please. Yeah. So did you do much acting? I, you told me you were in videos and whatnot, but did you do much acting? Or no, I decided in high school that trying to pursue acting was too risky. Um, I really, my first love is dance, but yeah. I realized in high school that there's no way I could make money doing that. Like I said, acting, I figured that was going to be too iffy. And I thought singing was the most um, stable possibility because I obviously could sing. Oh, and yeah. so I put all my focus on, you know, singing. I took voice lessons for three years, three times a week. And, and it was really intense. Um, but the thing about the singing is that because of the racism in the record industry, they were very much into segregating you based on your race. Sure. And yep. I came in there coming not from a gospel background, but from a folk background, uh, singing pop songs and, you know, growing up on Carole King and Joni Mitchell. Not to say that I wasn't listening to Stevie Wonder and Ashford and Simpson, too, but the influences that I had were Barbara Streisand and Diana Ross as a singer. Right. So the record company didn't really know what to do with that. And they tried to pigeonhole me into something R&B, which was not natural for me. Um, eventually, I did a recording with Nile Rogers. I was signed to Capitol. And it was a pop record. We did some dance stuff. But long story short, everybody from the president down got fired. I got dropped and found out later when some people from the record company I was friends with invited me to see Paul McCartney, the pop department wanted my album. They wanted to promote it, and they were told, no, you can't, because she's black. Because she's black. See, yeah. that's like, you see, because like, I, I had this conversation with Norwood as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I love that guy. Okay? Me too. Well, I'm a bass player, so of course I'm going to love Norwood. I mean, you know, I like, but... Um, he said similar. He said, Fishbone, you know, sure, we were a bunch of black guys, but we got bust in from the projects. Mm -hmm. And we were at just the regular school and we were the only black kids there. Well, aside from Angela, he was the local. But he said, well, what were we listening to? We were listening to what right. our white friends were listening to. Exactly. And it was all this punk. And, and so he said... We're like, well, man, we, we love this thing. We love punk. And, well, yes, there's, you know. Uh, and actually, I just found out recently, I can't remember the name, but there was one punk band that was black, and they were one of the first. They were like. Bad like, Brains. No, 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 not Bad Brains. No, but they, they were in England. And they were. Oh. Like, no, no, no. They No, they were. Oh, shit. I got to find these guys out. But they they were like a week before the Sex Pistols. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, and and one of them died like right before they got signed, but nobody was like really understanding what punk was at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But there was Angelo and Norwood, and Norwood said we were like we loved the sound, and that was all that we we just that was what it was our energy, and they said right. we didn't yeah. like. He said R and B was fine, you know, and I, I'm sure he I'm sure Norwood told you guys this R and B was fine, but it, it wasn't the fun, energetic groove that we were living on, right? Right. The energetic so energy that, like, I mean, they're, they're elder statesmen now. They still put on a banging show, but back in the day, they oh, were yeah. like ping-pong balls. I mean, they were like pinball machines on stage. It was right. great. And, and, I've never seen anything like that. Right, and but the they, first they, saw 
the double bill because they came up at the same time. Uh-huh. Fishbone and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Sure. And oh they, yeah, yeah. They know each other. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, yeah, I've known the guys in the Chili Peppers since '85 too. But the difference is, once again, Chili Peppers are white. Fishbone was black. Fishbone should have been as big as the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, right. Hands down. Yeah, and well, no doubt worship Fishbone. You know. Yeah. Well, the the good thing about the modern era is because of YouTube and people having a, an independent way to reach a very large audience, people have been able to prove it's the record companies that have the issue, not the audience. Yeah. The audience yeah. doesn't give a damn what race you are. If you're talented, they're going to like it because they feel something when you perform. Right. And. And it's just been, you know, the radio programmers and the record company executives and the gatekeepers mm-hmm. yeah. who, were, who were blocking us. Because if you think about it, black people are good at everything as far mm-hmm. as being, being able to do opera, being able to do classical, uh, you know, uh, ballet, jazz, jazz a blues, folk. I mean, you name it. There are artists that have been successful in every genre of music. And... You know what it goes back to also even like if you go back to say even the 50s or something when when rock and roll broke big and there were there were black rock artists oh, the white yeah. establishment were afraid that their young virgin daughters were going to be seduced and actually even before that go back to the 30s where the jazz musicians they were afraid that their young virgin daughters were going to be seduced by demon jazz and get screwed by big black jazz musicians or rock and rollers and the dancing was too sexual and too you know outside of the church and whatever the hell you want to say and that's why they shut a lot of it down and tried to keep it segregated but when they had those big rock um rock and roll shows uh and i can't remember the name of the there was a couple of radio djs back in the 50s uh in the early 60s that really started to champion black artists and they had those shows and and the police tried to shut them down and try to keep it segregated but when they let the kids go everybody was dancing with everybody because it was music and they all liked it and like chuck berry right chuck berry and and little richard and exactly especially little richard little richard was freaking everybody out Oh yeah, well, but he 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 was freaking everybody out for every reason you could have. Yeah, no, but I actually, I actually heard him in an interview saying that he pushed the the flamboyant image because that wasn't threatening as far as the women. Mm. It kept them from thinking he was going to take their women away. Oh, right. Even though he was, even though he was, he was definitely gay. You know, and he had his own battles admitting that. Whatever. I'm just saying that he I'm going by reading his book and hearing him talk about it. He was aware that he was a homosexual, but it was so against his religious upbringing to admit that and to make peace with it. It was very difficult. Right. Um, but I was going to say, I even a, a couple of days ago, somebody sent me a video of these people, these black people in Appalachia that were yep. doing that kind of music. You know, it wasn't bluegrass. I don't know what to call it, but it was guitar picking kind of music. And they were great at it. It was Was like, you you don't, what? It wasn't bluegrass? It could have been. It's just, they called it something like Afro picking. 
Oh wow! wow. Yeah, I got. Because, I'm, go, I'm googling that, man. I, I am because the, these are people. These are people in Appalachia that are black, and these were older people. So apparently, this tradition has been going on for quite a while, which makes sense. Again, whatever you grow up around and that you're exposed to, if you pursue getting good at it, you're going to get good at it, no matter what your race is. Mm -hmm. um, and not to mention, when we were brought over as slaves, they took everything away from us except something like music. Music was one of the only solaces that we had. I mean, they took our own sense of identity and our own religious background from the Yoruba religion and things like that and gave us, you know, forced us to accept Christianity. But our roots keep busting through and kept coming out in terms of the music that we played and the rhythms and things that, that came from African traditions. And it bled into and was the basis for a good deal of American Americana and American oh, music. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and like, 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 like I said, last time we talked that there was the joke of the, the, the record case, that beautiful record shelf, you know, beautiful Oak record shelf with five atop and five down, you know, all that. Right. And then it was empty and it said my record collection without my black and black influenced artists. And I'm like, that's the yeah. truth, man. Yeah. And I, go into like Negro spirituals. And that was a way to, relieve the pain of slavery was singing it out and getting it out oh, in that yeah. way. As a songwriter and artist myself, I know that I would be in a rubber room somewhere in a straitjacket if I couldn't write music. Um, but then it gets even deeper because then you got into the code language and the, mm -hmm. the, I know, the limited yeah. message stuff that, you know, because they, you know, the, the overseer and Massa was thinking, oh, they're just singing in, this, in the fields. But they're like sending messages like, basically, if you follow the drinking gourd to freedom, which is singing, you know, passing on the message that you follow the North Star to go north if you're going to run away as a runaway slave. And, right, yeah, uh, they, they pass the messages water, that way. Yeah. Wait in the water, wait in the water, children. That meant... Hey, I'm get getting a free Durga concert. Keep going. Come on, <laughs> let, let's have it. Oh, I'm getting some out of you too, Lorelai. Don't, don't think okay, you're getting okay. away from this. But basically that was code for saying once you get to this river on the other side, you're free. So wade well, in that water and saying like where the ford is so you can get through it and wade through and you're free on the other side. And that's, that's a lot of where the, some of those songs came from. So I just work with me here. Okay. Um, Harriet Tubman. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Angelo short too, by the way, but I, I, I was joking what? when Angelo, he's short. Well, he's shorter than no. me, but he's not short. He's not short. He's five ten. Yeah. Well, okay. So five eleven. He's a little like, um, Harriet Tubman, when she was hit by that weight in, in the store, and, mm -hmm. and, it, and, and it damaged her brain, right? Yeah. That very clearly, that now when you look back at it, that disabled her ability to think fear. Her fear light never blinked after that. Okay. That's one way to put it. Now, now the, <laughs> I, actually, the, 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 I have the, another. Oh, well, the, the, the most powerful thing in the world is a manifested delusion, right? And mm -hmm. when she went through, when she jumped off the bridge, when she mm -hmm. walked through the river, when, when she started doing things that everyone was like, that is going to kill you. 
And she did several of these things and was like, I'm still here. It didn't kill me. Right. Yeah. She never had manifested fear after that. She was the ballsiest woman in history. And Pretty people much. were like, people were like, she is fearless. Well, yeah, but that's because it, her, she she never could think fear anymore. Well, hang, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Yeah. Let me offer you a, an alternate explanation. I think a lot of the um, barriers that human beings put up to accessing other dimensions mm. and other realms of, in, of communication is like safety mechanisms set up in the brain and conditioning, human conditioning. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is there are other dimensions that are existing in tandem with ours. There are interdimensional beings that do visit us, that it's not just extraterrestrials per se that come from other planets. There are beings that come from other dimensions through energy portals or whatever you want to call it. Now, supposing that hit to her head basically took the, the governor off of yeah. her engine. Sure, so yeah. she was able to access communication with interdimensional beings or whatever you want to call it, because she, there were things where she was like, she would be leading them and she would stop and say, God is telling me if we keep going this way, we're going to get caught because they're right over that ridge. So we need to go here. And she would allude the, and they could not figure out how she was eluding these people. So, uh, I I don't look at it so much as brain damage as she just got a tune-up. So okay. she could access uh, communication that, that most people have taught themselves not to listen to anymore. Because when we're kids, oh, yeah. little kids ghosts, little kids talk to spirits, little kids see all kinds of stuff that adults don't see anymore. Sure. Well, my, my, my likening into Angelo is that dude's fear light never goes off either. And you know yeah, exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Although, well, he's older now, so he's de finally developed. There are some places where he should have had a little bit oh, more. Oh, yeah. No, I, I yeah, I, I, I have a million Fishbone Live stories where I'm like, oh, geez, he's not getting up. Oh, shit, he got up. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, him and him and Iggy Pot, man. Like, I've seen Iggy go flat into, you know, as well. But I like, Iggy claims to have invented the stage dive, and I, I don't doubt that. But yeah. But Angelo perfected it. Yeah. The, <laughs> so. He's got balcony all kinds. And I used to dive too. <laughs> well, I have, you know, but uh, I, I, I've like, well, again, I was, you know, dropkick Murphy's in Boston, uh, the levelers, I'd be like doing backflips off the stage in my kilt, you know. It was like, hey, so the first time I ever stage dived was at a fishbone show. And my friends, two friends and I decided, okay, we're scared, but we want to try it. And we <laughs> noticed we noticed that we all had on black leather mini skirts, black high heels, and under our tops, we all had on black lace bras. So we all figured, let's take our tops off and just wear our bras, and we'll be sure that that way we'll be sure they'll catch us. And they did. It worked. <laughs> and I had some pretty epic stage dives after that. I mean. Right at the beginning of Sunless uh, Saturday, you know how that starts. You know uh -huh. that song. Dun, yeah. dun, uh -huh. dun, 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 so, so you're revving it, up. That, that's getting you revved <laughs> up. To... Straight off, straight off the monitor. I mean, I was wearing like this um, sheer sort of chiffon summer dress, 
and I took my heels off and I actually had peach colored Doc Martens that I put on just for that. Just for and that. And I looked all cute and pretty and then I just launched myself right off the monitor. Dun, dun, dun. Wow, I like that. Yeah. I was I was a bit of a punk. Okay, how about you, Lorelai? Let's let let's have some adventure. I, I no, no, I wasn't in the punk. No, she was no, not that. I wasn't in the punk. That was me. Did did, did you <laughs> yeah, ever see I Iggy Pop though? That. Well, Lorelai, no. since, since since you knew the other two, Lou and Bowie, but you, did you ever meet Iggy or did you ever? No, I didn't. No. And I was going to say part of the reason why we've had the experience of either meeting or working with these people is because that realm of um, celebrities is not that big yeah and it's like once you get inside of it where you're respected the work you've done with people they're just human beings anyway you know they they either say good things about you or it sort of opens a door if people recognize you from who you worked with that maybe if you're not in that position you wouldn't have such easy access like me meeting bowie was because um I was on tour with the Rolling Stones and he was sitting at the sound desk watching the show from the side. And so I made sure to speak to him backstage because he was there. And I had a reason. I wanted to tell him that um, he had already done Let's Dance with Nile Rogers, and Nile very much wanted to work with him again. And so I conveyed that to him. And it was just a normal conversation. He was just a nice person, you know, quiet, no ego, no nothing. And most of them are like that when you meet them in those circumstances. Well, the you're, elders... You're, you're really quick. Your, your earrings are thumping your microphone there, Lorelai. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just hearing the, the thumping there. So, so I was like, what is that noise? When oh, yeah, there it is. So, well, you see, but how awesome is that? How awesome is that that you could say, yeah, I, I told David Bowie, hey, <laughs> Nile said he loved you and he'd love to work with you again. And boom, there you go, right? I mean... Yeah. Not many people could say that, oh, yeah, well, I'm on a first name basis with Nile Rogers anyway. <laughs> that's true. But again, that's because he used to live next door to our older sisters in the yeah. Bronx. His stepfather, um, when his parents, his, Nile's parents were drug addicts. And um, at some point, he went to live with his stepfather, who was a neighbor of our sisters. So. Uh, Dana, one of our older sisters, introduced me to him because she knew I wanted to do stuff in music, and he started hiring me, basically. And um, he's a dear friend, and he's such a mentor to me because, again, speaking about this race thing, Nile was able to cross over mm -hmm. because of the strength of his um, creative talent to work with people like Duran Duran and Bowie and Madonna. And I loved that, that he wasn't, or at least I thought that he wasn't locked down in that same, it's got to be R&B or nothing else. But what we found was at that time, when he tried to do that pop thing with a black artist, he got shut down. So like he, he did be the, it. They, so they wouldn't see the black guy behind the white musician, I guess, that that was. Well, let me put it like this. Yeah. He worked with Philip Bailey. Mm -hmm. The album after Philip had had success with Easy Lover with Phil Collins. Right. So they assumed because he had broken through that door as a solo artist, there'd be no problem walking back through it again. And that wasn't the case. He did an album with Nile um, and uh, 
they wanted just an R&B thing, and it wasn't that kind of album because um, Phillips not really that kind of artist. Well, no, Phillips. Phillips <laughs> that. Uh, gee, well, that guy. I mean, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, what can you say? I mean, that guy's been all over the board there. And Earth, yeah. Wind, and Fire were like, hey, we're kind of a rock band with some whatever the hell else we want to throw jazz. in there. Well, jazz, jazz, rock, fun. You know, I mean, there was. And, and I think that was the point, he, even though he, here's let, let's go back to a, something Durga said a while back when they did that, uh, that God awful performance in. Well, no, their performance was fine. But in what? that awful Sergeant Pepper's movie. Oh, yeah. Their performance. was. I just watched that. The they other were day. great. But, the, but they you were said. So but when, I don't great. think I've seen that. Oh, you, you don't want seen, to. Oh, my God. Well, it's so they so they they, they they were in that bad Bee Gees. Um, 70s uh sergeant peppers With, movie um, what's his face uh peter frampton yeah peter frampton and, and it was the robert stigwood monstrosity it's a testament to what massive amounts of cocaine will do to the creative process i was waiting know, for you to say was, that i was I waiting for you to know. say that <laughs> it's true but some of the performances are great they were fabulous and that was where their version of got to get you into my life came from um, Aerosmith doing Come Together was great. Great. Uh, there's a few really great performances, and it just was the whole thing was just very ill thought well, out. Okay, but Steve Martin <laughs> singing Maxwell Silver Hammer. I mean, it was. <laughs> What's the movie? What's Sergeant it called? Pepper. I can't believe you've not seen that, Laura. I know. That was crazy. Oh man, the Hearts Club Band. It's it's. It's Are really you talking about awful. an original with the Beatles in it? No, 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 no. It was the Bee Gees and Peter oh. Frampton were a, were a, uh, this mythical band. Okay. And it had let's I see. Uh, uh, maybe did. I have and I just don't remember it. Yeah, if you, you did, you probably didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked Tommy. Yes, this Tommy, no Tommy no. was fantastic. This Tommy's was very fantastic. bad. This is okay. just camp and bad. And I'm serious. It's totally, if you look at it after five minutes, you're like, these folks were high <laughs> off their faces on pounds of cocaine. You can tell the whole mm. movie based in cocaine. What if we did this? No, wait, wait. No, I got to And then let's have arrows come in and then let's have them in a hair, hot air balloon. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know those? Yeah. Two nights where people do this stuff in the studio and they think they've created a masterpiece and when everybody <laughs> down and they wake up the next day they're like this is a piece of shit but they put in so much money into it they had to put it out anyway it was sure. so okay but that that last scene remember that last scene where everyone was singing that song right and they flew sean Anna in there and they had to get <laughs> tina turner in there i mean it was you remember that right I, I, I mean, like I said, I just watched. They, they had to, day. they had to fly every celebrity that they could put in there. Anybody to, that was probably on his label at the time, and on enough coke, like here, come and you get a free couple of lines, man. Yeah, you know, basically, yeah. Anybody who shows up gets a free gram. But, but, but wait, so wait, wait, okay, okay. The last time we were talking, Durga, when 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 I said, now this this is this was, I still I laugh at this every day. Okay, when we were talking about that one diva singer, and you know which one I'm talking about, who, who had the she played in the same league of sport of doing lines with Lindsey Buckingham, right? When, oh, oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. So you know who we're talking about, 
and she and then I there, I'm not saying the name, but when when she had those metaphysical soothsayers okay. that we were talking about, right? And then you just said, "This is the best line ever." You said, what? "Maybe they weren't psychic. Maybe she was just so fucking paranoid because of all the blow she was on." Yeah, <laughs> and I've been. I that was so. That was like the burn man well you know it will mess up with your brain chemistry and in fact i actually know someone a friend of mine had a thing with her for a while and he it was his task i don't know if i should say this but let's just say um her nose was so messed up she had to find another orifice in which to ingest her cocaine and it's not on her face so you and, so so you knew that story before I even brought it up about how yeah, she had been told okay. Me to do it for her. He used to have to put it up her butt, basically. So well, but That's I, true. yeah, I can't believe we're saying this. Um, but like yeah. I was just saying, yeah. So she she would like people said, and like and and this is just industry and in a million books and everything. They said she was compared to Lindsey Buckingham for as much blow as she did and you're and you just can you're like oh man like far worse than she'd have beat lindsey buckingham in the sport yeah you know, so yeah but that was a long time a lot ago. of people a lot of people did yeah well that's so back in the 70s people thought it was like vitamins they thought it was good for you and the, even in the early 80s and then it was like oh wait no actually causes horrible addiction and kills people and that you know but i think that really it was right around the time that people's perceptions about it started to change and then crack came out. So that just compounded the problem, which is not a pretty subject, but wait, I was going to say something about Bowie too. Yeah, is Bowie, I Bowie, go ahead. Bowie. I met Bowie when he came to see Pink Floyd uh, in Lausanne because he had a house there in Switzerland and he was friends with David Gilmore. And um, normally that he would, uh, we would have VIP guests out at the, uh, middle of house uh, sound desk right. but because it was at a stadium and it was uh, you know festival seating so there weren't any seats everyone was standing they couldn't get him out to that uh, sound desk so they sat him at the monitor mix desk at the side of the stage unfortunately at that venue though it was like kind of below the level of the stage so basically he, his eye level was kind of with our feet so uh, us girls were right at that edge of the stage where he was. So, so we had a great view of your feet. Out. Well, we came out in our in our short dresses and realized right, yeah, David yeah, yeah. Bowie is staring up my dress right now and can see my minge. And so our whole show, we were so thrown off by the fact that David Bowie could see up our dresses that it was horrible. I mean, he was he's one of he was one of the nicest human beings of anyone of any level of society I've ever met. So humble, so friendly. Love, and years later, I was in the video for a Day In, Day Out, mm -hmm. where I played, again, a prostitute on Hollywood Boulevard. And, you know, um, they, he did the whole thing on roller skates. And the choreographer who did all the, the roller skate choreography was a friend of mine from, I used to dance a lot. I used to do jazz. And I knew him from somewhere. But um, he and I were standing there talking on the side of the set and David walks up and goes, hello, I'm David. Actually, I can't remember if I did that video before I met him with Floyd or after, but he walks over like, hello, I'm David. Like, it's your goddamn video. I think I know who the <laughs> fuck you are. But he was so nice. 
<laughs> he was a lovely, lovely man. I was gutted when he, I mean, why oh, are we oh. losing people like Bowie and Prince and stuff and then other people are still alive like Mitch McConnell? What, it, God. Hey, hey, we lost, okay. we lost Sean Connery today. And whether you love the guy or not, okay. Yes, Miss Money Penny, I'd like to make a phone call. Could you help yeah. me dial that one up? I mean, come on, he was—he was, he but, was but, a gorgeous, he was, man, but he was really, for m most of his life, demonstrably misogynist. So I have a love-hate thing with him. Yeah, but I, I know and, who your—I know who your mega crush is. You do. There was a guy in Los Angeles. He went by oh, the yeah. name of the Dude. Oh, is that his name? No, no, no. But it was, it's, his real oh. name was Jeff Lebowski, and he, you know, oh. yeah, the, the Sam Neil, yeah, Sam, yeah. Oh well, yeah, I love. Uh, well, yeah, but um, I thought you were talking about Jeff Bridges, who. Oh yeah, him Jeff, too. Yeah. Now I had a big crush on him forever. Uh, I thought you meant Jason Momoa. I love him. Oh yeah, no, no, wait. Um, uh, Sam, what was his Sam? What's his last name? Uh, I know who you're talking about. Uh, Elliot. Sam, yeah, Sam Elliot. Elliot. Yes. When. There was a guy in Los Angeles, he strange man, he was lazy, and he went by the name of the dude. I mean, I was just, you know, because you were talking about Roadhouse, and, and that was... And oh, you, right. Oh, and you said, you said he could be reading the census, and I'd be all, you know... <laughs> Love yeah, Sam. he's great. He's, he's a gorgeous man with a great voice. My so, memory, yeah, my memory of James of James Bond, of Sean Connery, is our father's love of James Bond when we were little yeah. girls. Uh-huh. You know, because he was also from that generation where men were much more misogynistic. And I was talking to my son about this today. It was an era really somewhat shaped by Hugh Hefner and Playboy and that whole image of the, the rising middle class young bachelor type mm -hmm. who who was, you know, kind of living the good life, having enough money to be able to dress well, have a nice car. And of course he was a playboy and had a string of women. That was normal. And the growing urbanization of America as well. The, mm -hmm. the larger cosmopolitan urban centers. And so, yeah, there was that whole thing. I mean, but there's, there's a lot of controversy coming up now because Sean Connery just died about an interview he did with Barbara Walters where he said, you know, he had done an interview in Playboy before saying that sometimes you need to smack a woman and all that kind of crap. Right. I found an interview that he did later where he had reversed his view on that, but people never well, saw that. They well, just but there was, well, there was uh, a, a photo taken of him walking out of an anger management class. Hmm. And he got caught, well, and and I don't know if he yeah. it, ashamed or whatever, but that was like, all right, well, it's up now, right? You know, you've you've been discovered going to anger management, which played into his favor as far as you know what he was taught, what what, but how much that helped his image, I don't know, you know. But well, I'm sure, I'm sure that it uh, that that was because his he had a very contentious relationship with his first wife, and mm -hmm. he used to be her and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I'm I'm of the mind that people should be allowed to be forgiven the the mistakes of their past if they show that they've grown and that they've changed. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I think that he's one of those. But, you know, I also think that um, when you consider the influence of the Bible again, on people's behavior when it comes oh, to this yeah. justification of beat the yeah. child 
beat the wife, beat the slaves. You know, I mean, this thing goes way back as far as what is appropriate behavior. And if you come out of a culture where that's uh, normal, you know, you grow up seeing your father beat your mother, uh, yeah. then you're likely to do the same thing because you were taught that's how you discipline somebody that's not, quote, behaving the way they're supposed to. And again, that era of maleness where it's like there is no question about who's in charge. It's the man. If the woman wants to control it through her sexuality or femininity and kind of deceive the man into thinking it was his idea, that kind of leadership. And thankfully, or hopefully I should say, the United States will, it may not be in my lifetime, allow a more feminine approach to leadership that we've never allowed. You know, I mean, we yeah. have more women in government now than we used to. And I think Nancy Pelosi is the closest to a really powerful woman in government. But we've never adjusted completely as a society to what it is to, or I should say we're going through the process now, what our boundaries really should be. You know, there's some people that don't want any boundaries, and I don't believe in that either. I think there's got to be a balance. Anarchy! <laughs> No, I'm the anarchist, okay, but we, we also believe in autonomy, but equal respect for all. But I'd like to see what I think is happening. Basically, for hundreds of thousands, like the first hundred thousand years of our development, uh, because... And total shitheads, but go Well, on. now, wait a minute. We used to have a lot of societies that were based on the matriarchy, because the most amazing, magical thing that humans could see was the birth of a child i mean right. if you've never witnessed that it's pretty awe-inspiring uh yeah I've, so, I've done it three times i'm, I'm well, done, okay by the way yes <laughs> so um and and the only way you can really uh trace a lineage and be 100 certain is through the mother and so matriarchal societies ruled the earth in matriarchal religions for many years and then the patriarchy was like no we're not having it and the advent of Judeo-Christian religions came in and basically had to discount and remove power from women and say that wise women were witches and needed to be burned and the sacred uh, temple women who would actually commune with men through sex to commune with God were then labeled whores and prostitutes and like Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute, that's bullshit. She was probably Jesus's wife because she was his wife. All Hebrew tradition, she was his wife. Yes, exactly. So, but they had to make her a whore because and remove the book of Mary from the Bible and the Gnostic texts and all that kind of stuff. Oh, no, I have them sitting about 10 feet from me. I have. Well, I well, I went to Harvard Divinity School, and my specialty was the Gnostics and the Apocrypha. So that was what I was focusing on. So. So basically, the, the pendulum swung way towards the patriarchy for centuries. Mm-hmm. And now I like to think that the pendulum is swinging back a bit towards the matriarchy because the balance is off. And you, when the balance. You have a lot off, less wars. Exactly. Exactly. You would have so, a, a shit ton fewer wars. It'd be like, you know. And, um, well, yeah. Unless the women are still trying to act like men. Like, well, anyway, I'm not even going to go into her because I don't like her. But. Um, you look now, though, and I guarantee you, I think I, I'm praying that Joe Biden wins because I, I'm 95 percent sure that Kamala Harris is going to be our first female president. She will be. Yes, I, I want 
Yeah, I mean, look, we're all praying for that, you know. So, and then by the well, time this airs, guys. by the time this airs, we will have, you know, we will know whether that happened or not. But um, not necessarily. I think with all the early voting, we're not going to know for weeks. Yeah, <sighs> all the unless it's yeah. such a blowout that that it doesn't really matter. I mean, I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it will. It will matter no matter what happens on election night. It would be completely unfair to the millions of people that voted early not to know the results of those. Right. Votes. You, oh, you, you mean the mail-in votes? Yes, because yes, yeah. Because like I went into the poll and I voted. I, I went in and actually did it. You know. And so well, your vote is going to count on election night. Uh. Yeah. 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 It's already in there. Yes. Because so. I, I considered doing the early voting, but I didn't want my vote to count after I'm going on Election Day to try to give as many votes towards Biden that day. Because, you know, if the vote looks like Trump is the winner before they count all the rest of them, he's going to be running with that. And I don't want that. Sure. Right. Yeah. No, he'll, <clears throat> I, I totally am with you on that. That's like that's. Yeah, I am. So hoping that uh, we don't ever get close to that. Yeah. You know? Well, we're going to see. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, let's see. Lorelai, you, you have worked with the, the one and only Ian Kilmister. You want to I, I yeah. when, when I found that out, I'm like, man, OK, who have you guys not? You know, I'll tell you, uh, I really would love to work with Donald Fagan. I yeah. met him in the elevator going to see the Rolling Stones. We were going through the guest VIP uh, entrance, and it just—it was just me, him, my sis, our sister Marcia, and the woman that he was going with. So it was completely intimate. And we spoke. I told him I was a singer. I mentioned that we had a mutual friend in um, bass player Anthony Jackson. He was very nice. But I mean, like, I would love to work with him because that music means so much to me. That's interesting. Okay. Don, oh, no, hey, note, you know, noted. Jeez, that's, I mean, it's, it's interesting when I talk to somebody and I find out, like, you guys know who Thelma Houston is. Um, mm-hmm. And when. Our nephew played, played with her, didn't, did, no, it wasn't Thelma Houston. <laughs> no, no. It, that was, um. I will survive. Glory Gaynor. Glory Glory Gaynor. So when I was interviewing Thelma Houston, because she just recorded with Morrissey earlier that earlier this year. And Mm -hmm. um, that was a clash. Right. You know, but she was amazing on that recording. But when I was joking and I said to her, so who are you going to go out? What are you going to do next? Are you going to ring up Kiss and try and record with them? Because I think that's the only way you haven't worked. She said, I would love to work with Kiss, man. Those guys are great. And she was serious. And I wasn't. (laughs) So she was like, oh, man, she was like, get me on with Kiss. I'd be there in a heartbeat. I was like, "Uh, well, (laughs) I was just totally (laughs) kidding when she said that. But hey, if that's, you know. But um, yeah, tell, tell me, check- t- talk about Lemmy for a kick, man, because that was uh, that I thought like, again, you were crossing the uh, you were breaking the rules. Right. You know what I mean? You were. Well, you were- in the sense that the song is a ballad, it's a rock ballad. Um, it's not a speed song. You know, it's not that heavy metal screaming type of thing. I don't sing like that. And in essence, I had 
a lyric and a melody and music to a song and I couldn't finish the words. And I had met Lemmy at an after party for Pink Floyd. We were in Hamburg, Germany, uh, in the bar drinking. And he was just a nice person. Um, I later found out as we got to know each other better, he had a black girlfriend who had been a heroin addict and died. And I kind of reminded him of the better parts of her. So I think that lent itself to his being available to help me. But he was really sweet, perfect gentleman. Um, and I love the words he added to my song, Forgotten How to Smile, that's on our album. Well, Lemmy was very open about his hatred for heroin. He, But he talked about that, how much he, you know, um, he always thought people should, you know, that was like his do not, you know. Right. And, well, I'm sure her death had something to do with it because he seemed to be. Very oh, yeah. No, yeah. Much he, he, affected he, yeah by that. He, he talked about that as to how much, you know, he had lost somebody and decided, you know what, I, I don't think anybody should, you know, it, I mean, granted, you know, he he was the guy who drank a bottle of whiskey every day and he smoked mm -hmm. at least three packs of cigarettes a day because mm. that was just Lemmy. But um he well, like okay. The other story that I that I talked about before that uh, that uh, girl when she was just a teenager and she was on tour and playing a festival somewhere in England and Lemmy walks backstage and she was barely old enough out of high school, you know. And she said, "I was halfway through a very nice, very expensive bottle of scotch, and the record company, you know, they they sent a babysitter with, but that guy was usually the one getting him drugs." Right. And she said, you know, so Lemmy walks in and he goes, Roy, love, you've had enough. No more for you tonight. And he yanks the whiskey bottle <laughs> my hand and walked off. And, mm. and th there's Lemmy being the responsible adult. Yeah. You know, when, when nobody else is being that to her, the, Lemmy was. And I thought that was that was a special thing to hear, you know, that he was um, he just was like, hey, I'm going to, you know. Uh, I'm going to be a response. He, there was a different side to Lemmy that the rest of the world didn't know. But of course, he did go off and drink that. He did go off and drink that bottle of scotch. Well, of course, Lemmy. <laughs> I, I had a dinner party. I think I mentioned this to you once. Um, I had a dinner party in London with my boyfriend at the time, and uh, we were staying at his parents' beautiful townhome in Camden Town. And I invited Lemmy, uh, and he showed up with a bottle of white wine, a cheap white wine for the guests, and then a bottle of Jim Beam for himself. And one of uh, Alex's friends, my boyfriend Alex, one of his friends came and said, uh, Oi, give us a bit your, of your um, bourbon. And Lemmy said, Fuck off. It's not <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> I, so so that, that's, that's Lemmy, man. That's totally, that's the man, Lemmy. Um, uh, I was talking to the guy in Chumbawamba the other day. Uh, I, I just, his interview went up last week and he told me the same thing. He said, yeah, we, we met Lemmy. He said, it was a great guy and everything. But he said, I, I knew his, his former manager. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I know your former manager. And Lemmy's like, tell him to fuck off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just, that's... But he was really sweet. I mean, one night we sat in the small room downstairs at the Viper Room and sang Beatles songs a cappella for like two two or three hours and he had perfect pitch and and who could say funny. that yeah i sang beatles songs with, with <laughs> lemmy you know and, well, and you. that's the thing his voice too you would never imagine that scruff scraggly voice 
and I love us. <laughs> <laughs>